afternoon, everybody, and thank you for joining us on Hashtag No Limits. Hashtag No Limits is about limits that have been placed on people that they have busted through those limits. Ophelia says in Hamlet that we know who we are, but not who we will become. And I believe that 100%. I also believe that there is no better example of that than the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. I mean, really, who I, I really I have to research this and find out like who was the first person to watch the caterpillar go through all of that and, and watch it dissolve and think, oh, okay, that's the end of its story. But wait, no, there's more. And watch it turn into this amazing butterfly. And then the butterfly has to struggle to get its wings strong enough in order to be able to fly. So in order for it to get out of the cocoon, we really aren't supposed to help it because it has to have its own struggles to deal with. So all of that said, I forgot to say, I'm Shelly Kino, your host of Hashtag No Limits. My guest today is Jeff. Jeff and I have known each other for over 20 years. Um, we, we, he came to a, a store that I worked at a long, long time ago, and we just instantly became friends. And we kind of lost track of each other. And then Facebook happened, and we kind of found each other again. So I'm really glad that that happened. And I'm really happy that he is joining me today. Um, Jeff has a wonderful story, and I'm so excited to share it with you. So Jeff, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So um, I told a little bit about you, but but very minimal. So tell the the real who Jeff is story. <laughs> wow, um, you did know me back when I had a lot of hair and it was all. <laughs> Um, you did have a little more hair, yes, I would agree. A little bit tame. More, more up here, less here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, well, I was born in Iowa, um, and life took me on a journey, and it, that journey ultimately brought me into the military. Um, it, quickly, I, I was a kid who didn't really have a niche. I didn't think I belonged anywhere. I didn't have any friends. Didn't have any confidence. Um, and somehow that took me on a path where I said, hey, let's take a guy with no confidence, no direction. Let's have him raise his hand and let's have him join the military. Why not? Perfect. Makes um, perfect sense. Let's have him travel the world service country. Sure. Um, but that path brought me to a, a base, the closest base to my hometown, um, to, to a place where I've been before. My mom graduated from a local high school. Uh, we, came down, we came down here um, every year or every other year to see her high school classmates. Uh, oh, I wow. knew how to get from um, her friend's house to the mall or, or, or to the zoo or, 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 to the, or, or to the arch. And that's not where I wanted to go. I wanted, I wanted the international travel and I wanted to go to Hawaii and I even volunteered to go to Alaska and I got Southern Illinois. Um, <laughs> angry, upset, all those words came to mind. But um, one thing led to another, I got a chance to do some volunteer stuff with kids uh, that were labeled quote unquote at risk kids in the community that, my, that I was in and my church was in. And one thing led to another, led to another, led to another. And it was a, okay, this is what I need to do. And um, that journey uh, eventually caused me to get, to get out of the military, to go back to college, to do all the educational stuff, uh, to become a counselor. I, I'm now a counselor with kids. Uh, that is, that is I, awesome. I, and, and not just kids, but a lot of kids that you see are kids at risk. Is that correct? Absolutely. Um, yeah. the, the gamut of, of, uh, I don't want to call them. I don't call them obstacles. I, I call them challenges that these kids have. Yeah, um, and mental health is so undervalued, I think, in our society. Um, and by that, I mean it's not talked about. If you have um, a, a a mental health issue, it's it's still fairly taboo. It's getting better, um, yeah. and and I'm. I'm working on that as a, you know, another part of why we know each other um, and how you have helped me out. But yeah, um, it is something that has always been like, oh, you know, we, we don't, we don't talk about that. We don't, right. we don't, we don't know how to deal with that. So we're just not going to talk about it. Sure. Um, my guests have probably figured out 
um, because it happened a couple times while you spoke that you have a stutter. Um, I know. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that the first time you're hearing that? I so apologize. Never heard of it. <laughs> um, so, so tell me, what was it like, first of all, growing up, second of all, in the military, having a stutter? Did that have any effect on anything? Profound effect. Um, I don't remember a time in my life where I didn't have a stutter. Um, and I'm the community I'm from in Eastern Iowa. And in that time frame, they didn't have speech counselors in school. They didn't oh. exist. Um, however, there was one in the community. And I learned later that somebody knew somebody and pulled some strings and they got me to work with her before she was actually a school employee. Um, but my stutter was bad enough that I couldn't say, hi, my name is Jeff. Wow. I, I had all the, all the textbook obstacles, blocks, the stammer, the, just every textbook speech impediment that, that you can imagine I had. Um, I don't remember if it was in grade one or grade two, but I began to see her um, every week. Um, for Friday afternoons, right around 2 p.m. To, to about 3. I just kind of left the classroom before the IEPs were even a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, when I walked down to her classroom and uh, I got to hang out with Miss Janice. Um, and that continued all the way till probably 10th or 11th oh, grade. Um, it, and I'm not sure why it stopped. I don't know if she changed positions. She moved and my schedule didn't allow it. I don't remember all the ins and outs. But um, that's probably a big part of the reason why I didn't have the confidence I, 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 I needed as a, as a young person. Um, called names, laughed at, um, not by any adults, always by kids. Although there have been adults that have laughed at me. Um, my best friends in my childhood were my parents. Um, not that I wasn't a nice person, but I didn't think anybody liked me. I didn't think I had mm -hmm. to kind of talk to anybody. And your parents, they kind of are, are obligated to like you. Um, and so I would stay home at night when my friends were going out to, to do this or do that. We stay home and watch basketball games or or whatever movie on TV. My parents would always pass out on the couch because they worked all day, and so I would get a couple hours a night just going like this. Um, I can remember a time in twelfth grade. I, I took French in high school, um, and yeah, long story. <laughs> I took French in high school. I, I mean, that's a I, difficult language anyway. Right. Right. And I liked it though. I took it because it was different and nobody else was taking it, but it turns out I liked it. I took it every year through high school. Um, my 12th grade year, um, we had to read a part of this book in French and uh, it's like 10, 12 kids in the class. I'm counting ahead to find out what I had to read so I could practice it in my head. Right. Um, and it got to my turn and the first word of line one, I had this block. And it was your, I mean, all the reaction, your, heart, your heart's racing, you're sweating, your palms are sweaty, and I couldn't get out the first sound. Wow. And I remember this kid, and I'm not going to name him because we're now friends, but uh, he sat a couple of seats ahead of me the next row over. Um, he, he leans back and says some kind of sarcastic response, and that just angered me even more. Um right but I couldn't get out what I needed to say. And it got to a point where I started to cry. So 12th grade um, and all that that is. And then I'm very aware of my own speech impediment. Uh, and then this kid who is the captain of everything, you know, everything I thought I wanted to be um, is making a crack and I ran out of the classroom crying. Ugh. Well, from that point till well, probably my 20 year class reunion. Um, I, uh, I couldn't think about that kid without thinking about that experience. Um, so, what, so what do I do then? I joined the military where you have to talk. Right. Uh, 
and <laughs> I'll tell you this story kind of fast. It's funny. Um, I got assigned a job, a, a, a chore, if you will, at, when I'm a, when I'm in training at, at basic, and it was a child runner. And the child runner's job is to go to the child hall and announce your flight time to eat. You, you kind of know these terms, I'm sure. Yeah. And um, I had a script, and I had to read. I had to go, and I had the script in my head. And the first day we get there, I run in the child hall, and I get to the spot, and I'm ready to do it, and I'm lined up at the wrong spot on the table. Problem one. Oh. Problem two, I stuttered hardcore on that first word. And so um, 10 or 12 training instructors jumped on kind of like that. And I had them coming at me from all corners. Mm-hmm. And um, they, hindsight, it wasn't the best thing to do, but they, um, uh, I was known as Airman Pig the rest of the time in training because I stuttered so like oh, Porky the pig right right gotcha um I got through it I, I endured um but this the cool sub the the cool rest of that story is the next place I went to in training um I minded my own I take care of my own stuff and one day this guy walks up to me he says hey Morris I want to talk to you about something I knew who this guy was I didn't really know him though so we went kind of off to the side he goes I want to tell you something, man. You, I was there in Chow Hall that day when you were called that name. And he said, uh, I watched all these training instructors to yell and scream at you and really jump on you for, for a, a, an issue that you couldn't control. And you took it and you didn't break and you didn't let them win. And he said, I want to tell you, man, that really inspired me then. So the, the dude gave me a... The, guy, the handshake and the one the one arm guy bro hug thing. Right. Um, and and he left. I never saw him again. Oh my gosh. Um, it, it's it's it and I I look back at that and I didn't realize it at the time, but now I do. All of the experiences I had from kindergarten through high school prepared me to deal with that. Yeah. So um, what branch you were in the Air Force, right? The only one that matters is the Air Force. Right, right. That's exactly what my husband would say. Absolutely. Sure. Right. And I had mentioned this to him last night when I was talking about it. And I said, so, you know, I, I when I seen stuff on in movies and on television about the military, you know, I said, those drill sergeants, you know, if you say something wrong or you don't answer immediately, they're all over you. And he's like, I mean, yeah, but not as extreme as it is in the military, but it doesn't matter how extreme it appears to everybody else. It's how extreme it feels Mm -hmm. to you in the moment that it's happening. For sure. So you talked about that one time in the chow hall, but I, I mean, I'm and there had to have been so many other times that that happened where you weren't able to respond quickly enough, or you did, the stutter did appear um, within your answer. How long were you in the military? Um, I did one, one enlistment of four years. Okay. So was it, I mean, I know you said you were in Southern Illinois, and so you weren't happy with where you were placed, but was the fact that they were on you or were maybe maybe they weren't on you were they on you a lot because of the stutter or not so much at, at training i was t- i was told before i came in or i was advised before i came in and your husband can probably tell you this the key to making it into basic and out is to not ever become known you right. want to just blend in um well day one i didn't blend in <laughs> right so I was in on the radar the rest of the time. And then I was known as Airman Pig. Right. Um, who, I don't know. There may not have been 10 or 12 guys there, but there were a lot. They were yelling at me from all corners. Right. And then however many other however many other airmen that were in the room meeting all saw it. Right. <laughs> so for that six to eight weeks, that's what I was known as. You know. I, I just, I can't imagine that that was a good time. Um. No, but, um, and 
not to excuse anything because by some level of, of understanding that wasn't appropriate. But I understand what the reasoning was at the same point in time, what their excuses were anyway. Um, but I think the K-12 experience prepared me to deal with that. It wasn't the first time I've been laughed at. It wasn't the first time I ever called names. Yeah. You know? I know, but that just doesn't make it better. <laughs> it doesn't Agreed. make it okay. Agreed. Agreed. But then, as, as we'll talk about eventually here, I'm sure, that also prepared me to do what I'm doing now, though, as well. And we'll get to that. Yeah. Later. Yeah. So... Well, actually, it's not later. It is now because I did because after you got out of the military, you said you went back to college and you got into the profession that you're in now. So, ladies and gentlemen, a person with a stutter, you would think, would not get into a job where they have to talk a lot. Um, so, first of all, he went into the military. So we already know he's a little not right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can say that because Jeff knows it. That's all yep. said in, in love and jest. Sure. Um, and then, what do you do now? I am a I am a clinical social worker who is currently providing mental health services to children and adolescents, um, ranging from about age six. And when I say adolescent, I put that in quotes because I think my oldest client is about 26, 20, 26 to twenty eight right now. Mm -hmm. So I, I talk for a living. Right. Do you think that because of that? Um that you, you've been able to connect with some kids because not necessarily that their experiences were exactly the same as yours, but you had struggles too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As I, um, I tell when, when I meet a new client and, and their parents, I tell them um, we're on a journey. And, and my goal for this is that when you get to the end of our journey, wherever that's at, that we look back to today and things, are, things, things, things have improved. I go, because I've walked in your shoes. I may not have been in what you're in, but I know what it's like to not have confidence, to not think anybody likes them, to, to be called names, to be thought of as unintelligent, um, incompetent, things that I've, I've felt or have been told, or, you know, right. even, even as, a, a, as an adult, as a married husband with kids and doing this kind of work, there's still times where I'll have folks will say, I don't know if it's going to work out because he can't communicate with the best of them. And that, as you know, that that's almost a challenge to me. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I remember, um, you know, when, when we first met, like I said, over 20 years ago, um, <laughs> and the reason I know it was over 20 years ago specifically is because I didn't have my daughter yet and right. she's now 21. So, right. right. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think we had talked then, and then we ended up going to the same church for a while. Um, and, and we talked a little bit there too, that people still don't understand that a stutter is something you don't have control over necessarily. Right. And they- Yeah, it'd be nice. I, uh, I tell clients that I work with, I go, if, if there was an operation I could have, I would have had it. If right. there's a pill I could take, I would have done it twice. But the reality is there's not. Right. So, so. It, I mean, you mentioned it took years of therapy from elementary through high school. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously in our conversation, it, it, it has appeared a couple of times. Are there things that you can do to make it? less frequent or are there things that happen that make it more frequent? <sighs> wow. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't preface uh, you with that hey, question. Hey, hey, <laughs> that question. Because the answer to that question is yes to both. But then the next question is, could it be what? Um, right. And that's what's hard. That's what's hard to answer because what may work today won't work tomorrow. Okay. Um, I've learned in my communication style how to talk around stuff. Um, I've, I've learned, um, I've, I rely on my wit probably way more than I probably should. And that was probably a defense mechanism I learned as a kid. 
Mm -hmm. um, I may not be able to communicate with the best of them, but I, I'm gonna make it laugh or, or at least try to make it laugh right. in, the, in that process to establish rapport, to establish a, a comfort, to get, uh, to get, hopefully to help you get past whatever uncomfortability you might have with how I do or don't speak. So I know being in special education um, that there, I had some, a couple of students that stuttered throughout the years and the speech pathologists that I work with were always wonderful. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing that I remember being told most often was don't say hurry up. Mm. Um, so I, I want to, just put that out there, um, yeah. that, you know, that that does not help. Um, and in actuality, what does it do when somebody, it, and I'm sure people still say comments to you, like spit it out, hurry up, say what you want to say. It, it, it increases the anxiety one. Mm -hmm. Um, and if I'd be honest, there are times where it takes me off. Um, and, uh, in, in raising my hand here, I don't always handle that as good as I should. Um, there have been times where I've been at, at stores and the cashier will, will make a comment. And I, I think back to one, um, one example at a store in the area where I, whatever excuse I had a bad day, long day, whatever, the cashier was extra, extra sarcastic about it. And I just kind of stopped and stopped my transaction. And so I talked to a manager now. And um, hindsight, that might not have been the best way to approach that, but I did. Um, embarrassed my wife pretty hardcore. <laughs> hardcore. Um, it, there's been times where with clients, um, I, I've learned that a person who laughs with a, at a stutter isn't laughing at the stutter. They're laughing at their own uncomfortable, their own issue with, they're uncomfortable with it. And so I'll, if I see them squirm or start to laugh at it, I'll just acknowledge it up front. I'll say, guys, I stutter. Guess what? I've done it my entire life. We're going to have to learn how to get past this. Yeah. Just to let's call a spade a spade. Let's put the cards on the table and let's have that discussion. What an excellent, excellent point that you just made about their uncomfortableness. Um, because as I learned and as I studied throughout special education, I realized that behaviors are communication sure. and behaviors are personal to the person exhibiting the behavior, mm -hmm. not toward the person receiving the behavior. Absolutely. So that is so light bulb moment, I hope for some of the listeners is that, you know, yeah, you're receiving that laughter, but it's not at you. It's about the person laughing because, you know, and, and I think oftentimes too, that's the same with seeing um, aggressive behaviors in mm -hmm. people. You know, I just the other day was at the store and there was a woman whose child was very upset for whatever reason. And the mom was doing her best to get through the store and get what she needed and get uh -huh. out. And I mean, this kid was, um, it was a target. So, you know, everybody knows, you know, approximately how big a target is. When I walked into the store, they were in the exact opposite corner of the store and I could hear the kids screaming. Right. Right. Um, just so happened that our paths crossed and I went up to the mom and I tapped her on the shoulder and she turned around and she was startled. She's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I said, don't be sorry. I just want to give you a hug and tell you to, to, yeah. to stay strong. You're, you're doing what you need to do. Hang in there, but right. there were other people around that were watching. Mm -hmm. And I think, and, and I honestly have been guilty of that myself. I'm like, do I say something? Do I not say something? Can I help? <laughs> you know, you, you, you don't really know what to do. Sure. Um, but I think a lot of that is, is our own uncomfortableness mm -hmm. Because I don't know how to respond. I'm not familiar with what to do in that situation. I don't understand why that situation is happening. Um, so I, I just, I really want to nail that point home that it, it really is someone else's problem 
that they're dealing with that causes their response to and you. I, it took me 29 years of some change to, to reach that point. Um, and it was with a, a girl I worked with when I first began to, to work in, in this field. Um, the girl was six and I wasn't a parent yet, didn't understand. I, I had to transport her from A to B. I didn't understand childproof locks and car seat laws. And so I put this girl in the back seat of my car. I just got it all strapped in and we're driving from A to B. Uh, we're on the interstate. All of a sudden in my mirror, I can see her unbuckle start to crawl across the back seat of my car. And uh, she's playing with the, with, the, with the door handle. Oh my gosh. So I get off the road and I turn on the, uh, on the, on the blinkers and I go back there and, didn't handle this in the best way, but I go, what are you doing? You know? Mm -hmm. And she looks at me and she goes, Mr. Jeff. And I go, what? I'm, I'm, I'm here. Right. She to me, She goes, why do you talk funny? At six. Right. And without hesitation, looked at her. I said, girl, I've talked this way my whole life. Who says I talk funny? <laughs> I shouldn't then, laugh because you were talking to a six-year-old, but I get it. It was it, it was a debt, and her her response was, "Wow, okay, right." And and I'm doing everything I could to not cry because it that just came out, right. <laughs> you know. And um and so I got her strapped in, and I gave her a messed up her hair a little bit, and figured out the childproof lock thing, and <laughs> back into my car in the front. I'm doing this. Because at that at that moment, at that spot on the interstate, is where what you just said makes sense to me. It's not the the issue isn't mine; it's everybody else's. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the main reasons for this show um, is because I want people to stop being uncomfortable hmm. or to work through that uncomfortableness. Sure. And you know be. Be cognizant of their own thoughts mm -hmm. of, you know, I don't understand this. And that makes me nervous. And sometimes nervous comes out as laughter. <laughs> um, right. You know, so, or sometimes when I don't understand, especially with kids and other kids, because they don't understand. I mean, that that's what all those kids were, were expressing, but in, in a poor way when right. they said things to you as a kid or as a high schooler um, right. is that I don't understand. It makes me uncomfortable because it's not what I'm used to. And therefore I'm going to laugh or I'm going to make a joke because then that puts the attention on you instead of me. 100%, right. Yeah. So um, we have comment here. It says, I remember being embarrassed by my daughter's behavior when she was young until I realized those behaviors are a part of who she is. Then I began to embrace her behaviors. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, and thank you. Thank you for that comment. And hi, Greg. <laughs> Greg is one of my loyal watchers, so I'm happy to have him here with us today. Um, so before I move on to your family, sure. Um, is there anything else that you, any words of advice or, or suggestions that you have or stories that you want to tell um, about being a counselor? Because your your kids that you're working with are kids that limits are being placed upon. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I think that kind of like what you've said, um, these limits don't define who you are. Um, there's an incredible irony. Whenever, whenever I'm done in this, whenever that, whenever my, whenever I end this journey, whatever point. Um, there's an incredible irony in the fact that um, I'm the kid who couldn't say, hi, my name is Jeff, who gets paid to talk. Right. Um, those, those limits, those definitions that I thought others placed on me, that I placed upon myself or whatever, I let those determine, I let those define who I am. Um, and I mentioned earlier that kid in high school French class, there was 20 years where I didn't 
think about this kid. I didn't didn't give this kid a thought in my head. Well, 20 year class reunion pops up and now everything's done online and so everything's being planned on Facebook. And uh, um, I get, pretty soon I get a, it, I get a, I may know this person alert on, on right. Facebook. Mm-hmm. And it's this same kid that sat two seats ahead of me back in French. And all those old heart palpitation stuff, stuff came back. At this point, we're six, eight weeks out. We've paid our money. We've got the vacation time. And I'm telling my wife, I don't know that I want to go to this now. There's a chance I can run into this kid, this guy. No, right. um, no, 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 no. Well, we went because I don't like to waste money. It's um, a good motivator I, for me, too, to be honest. You know, <laughs> we, we got there early, and then pretty soon he walks in with his wife, and I see him coming towards me. And you know, you know how it goes. You're in group, everyone's talking, and you're, you're catching up, and you're showing pictures of your kids and, and whatnot. Eventually, he makes his way to our group, and this conversation is going to take place. Right. And it's a conversation I avoided, didn't want to think about, tried to get out of. And eventually, he sticks his hand out and says, hey, Jeff, how have you been? And so I said, I gave him the casual, I'm, I'm Okay. And he goes, so what are you doing now in life? I said, well, I'm a therapist. And he goes, like, what, health? I said, no, I'm mental health. And he goes, wow, that's really awesome. So what age? Like, what age are clients? I told him kids. And so he goes, man, I don't know how you do that. We had that discussion. And then um, and I said, yeah, man, the irony is I'm the same kid that you laughed at back in high school. They couldn't talk. I just put it out there. Good for you. Um, and what was crazy about it was he comes back, he says, Man, I don't, I don't remember that. And and so the discussion went on, and it, we kind of had this let's wipe the slate clean, man. He goes, I'm sorry, I didn't realize the impact that that had then. You know, we were kids, we were dumb, we do dumb stuff. Um, I took out of that that we we that a person only has power over us that we let them have over us and um now me and this guy are friends um whatever that means now because we're all online and facebook (laughs) right right yeah um now we we talk on a we talk all the time and there were 20 years i let one experience affect 20 years of my life right relationships that could have been different so yeah. Now you don't want, now I don't want to leave this topic because that's, <laughs> that is so very true. And one of my guests a couple of weeks ago, Alex, um, he said basically that, that he had learned from, I forget now who he said he learned it from, but basically that, you know, if something is upsetting to you or something bothers you mm-hmm. that be upset with it, be bothered by it, you know, go through that feeling. But yeah. then after, and he said 30 seconds, I tend to think it has to be longer than 30 seconds, but quick, he right? said, yeah, that's pretty quick. Um, he said, but after that, then it's on you. It's your yeah. choice to hold yeah. on to it. And I just resonated with that so, so much because I had similar experiences in high school um, mm-hmm. where, where something I, um, and I, I'd mentioned this in another episode, I think on a maybe Friday with Fran, but um, I had attempted suicide in high school. And my first day back after that, and it had been months, um, kids made fun of me because they didn't know why I had been out. Um, you know, this was long before the days of social media, which sure. thank God, because yeah, um, <laughs> <right. laughs> it would have only been worse. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, you know, there were people that that day they were they were making fun of me and and commenting things and. Right. Um, right. To this day, I haven't seen some of them because they never showed up to class reunions. Um, I've reached out to some of them in Facebook, you know, kind of the same thing. Like we've kind of wiped the slate clean, but they don't remember. You know, people make flippant comments and they have no idea how that comment lands to the person that they're making it toward. So I know know how tough it was then. Kind of like what you touched on. I couldn't imagine it now, how hard it would be now. I mean, then then um we could escape it kind of mm-hmm. now you really can't escape it right 
Yeah. Um, and and I heard it once said, um, and I, and I forget who the who who made this comment, but it, it's about that topic. You, that's a weight that you don't have to carry. Don't carry that weight because that weight will drag you down. Yeah. And Greg made this comment. He didn't see you the way you thought he did. Nope. Nope. Yeah. And we do that. We we make assumptions all the time based on what somebody, one comment that somebody makes. Or sometimes, you know, even if they make multiple comments, they can still change their perspective. Sure. Right. You know, and it sounds like what Greg said. He didn't see you the same way that you thought he did at that time. But yeah. um, people certainly can change their perspective. So. Um, I don't want to let you go without talking about your family because um, <laughs> you have two children that are adopted. I do. And um, one specifically that you adopted, you adopted from a foreign country. Yes, ma'am. Um, so tell us a little bit about her. Um, well, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I cover this? Uh, <laughs> you have um, 25 minutes. That's all you get. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, I was blessed uh, to be able to be made aware of um, uh, of adoptions, both international and here in here in the U.S. Um, I was made aware of it through some life events, but also my first job in this field was working in adoptions. Um, so as I became aware of adoptions, uh, I became aware of international adoptions, um, and that process took myself uh, and, and my daughter's mom over to Russia um, in 2005. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. We uh, hopped on a plane and flew halfway around the world to Moscow, uh, where eventually we went to a region. Uh, we met our daughter. We met this cute little brown-eyed girl um, who um, didn't, have, didn't have a home. And, um, and from my understanding, not only did she not have a, a family, a home, but in the orphanages there at the time, she really wasn't given a lot of love, any love, and she wasn't given much attention. Um, not by what we would hope would happen. Um, I can honestly say they do the best with what they have from a, from a resource standpoint, from a manpower standpoint, but it's not enough. Um, her orphanage, I, I don't know how many kids were there. Uh, it was birthed to about age four and, and we never saw probably 10 adults at any one point in time in the entire building. Um, so you have to, you have to, divide your time up and resources up amongst how, how every many kids are there. And there's just not enough time or manpower or resources to, to give the kids the attention and the love that they need. Right. Right. So you brought this beautiful little baby home and she was, she was very tiny. Um, if I remember correctly. And, and she, <laughs> at a year, she, she weighed 11 pounds. Wow. Yeah. That's just crazy. Um, I can remember when we first heard her cry, it wasn't a first trip. It wasn't a second trip. It might've been our last trip. And her cry was just, it wasn't even a squeak. It was a kind of, it was a tiny little, little noise. And I can, I can remember saying to her, her mom, her cry is so quiet. That's it. Oh my gosh. That's it. Right. Um, I'm a new parent. I don't know anything about anything yet. Um, now it changed. It definitely changed. But, uh, at first, there just, there just wasn't much of anything, and I don't know if that was if that's what she kind of learned that what's the point of crying? It's not going to matter. I, I don't know. But. Right. Right. Yeah. Because from from what I recall, I mean, they could, like you said, because there were so few people there, they could cry for long periods of time and not get any attention for that cry because. There just wasn't somebody there to be able right. to give them that attention. Yeah. Um, so you get her home here to the United States. Um, and so tell us a little bit about what those first few years were like. Oh my gosh. The first, the first handful of years was a lot of, uh, um, well, I'm learning how to be a parent, um, which 
but you go from not being a parent to congratulations, learn how to how to be a parent, <laughs> you know, um, to a, a lot of comments about she's so little um, because she's she's small, but she's acting like a, a an age like a child her, her age would act. Mm-hmm. We would either get questions, um, "Wow, she's so advanced." Or the opposite side, why is she so, so tiny? Which would then lead to her mom and I having to decide how much of her story are we going to share? Right. Because depending on who we're talking to determines how that discussion goes. And we had people coming up to us at stores that may have met well, uh, but said some things that are just are just so off the wall and appropriate. Um, that they didn't know what else to say, but they felt like they had to have a comment. Right. Um, because of her age and, and her backstory, she qualified for early intervention. Uh, she got, she qualified for two years of that. So she used, we used every single chance of that, which then automatically qualified her to, to get a um, head start a spot head start mm-hmm. um the uh i bring this up so i took her to her head start screening and um by this point in time i'm, I'm working at, uh, i'm working on my master's i'm working in foster care at the time and uh, they're doing the a screening and they're asking us her story how much she weigh at birth what's her health history and we could i can only answer a handful of questions right I watched the the individual at the school doing the assessment automatically begin to steer the discussion towards attention problems, ADHD stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of had to jump in and said, "Let me let's skip ahead about ten pages because that that was the job I did." Already. Right, right. Um, and uh, I, hindsight, they were. They, they learned the backstory, begin to automatically assume there's attention-related problems. Um, rightly or wrongly, that was the knowledge they had. And so we begin to have a battle, a battle, uh, a fight, for lack, of, for lack of any other word, a fight. Right, um, right. To get her educational needs met appropriately. Um, she did great having two years of Head Start because she could use the, the extra support. She went to kindergarten. She did fantastic. And in grade one, she did. Uh, she began to have problems w- with school. Um, there were a lot of uh, a lot of other changes in her life at the time that were going on. But also, um, it, we, we, we were beginning to see a lot of school problems, mm-hmm. uh, problems that just weren't her. Um, so, we get this. Uh, we get a little bit of the mail. Uh, saying, "Hey, uh, your daughter's having X, Y, Z challenges because these problems. We're 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 going to meet to discuss retention." And my ears perked up, and I went, "Wait a minute, the, uh, hang on. Um, this is the job I do. I kind of know how the process works. We haven't met yet. We yeah. haven't done an evaluation. We haven't done." And so um, I went from being a dad to being an advocate because that's what I am, mm-hmm. career-wise. And so we began to discuss IEP stuff and we've not had an evaluation. And uh, why do you think she has ADHD stuff when I'm seeing anxiety stuff and I'm seeing this and I'm seeing that and I want to be able to observe and they didn't want me to observe because of my bias and all of those things. And so um, we got all the players together at the table um, and had probably the longest IEP meeting I've ever been involved in. It was a Friday afternoon, began at two and ended at five. So you've been enough of those meetings to know that doesn't happen too often. Um, Um, It does now with what I do because I make them last that long because I want everything understood by everybody at the table. So then that wasn't the case. They were, they were trying to half hour, 45 minutes and you're out. They were trying to retain her without evaluating and determining everything else right and so we came to an agreement to to have her go on to the next grade they would do the evaluations early in the year 
Um, and then if they need to be accommodations made, there would be accommodations made. Um, was a little tense. The, all, all, the, oh, all yeah. the relationships were tense, and mm -hmm. I got that. Um, but come fall, we did the evaluation, and when you know it, there was some anxiety, some school-related performance anxieties that were manifesting, right. um, which um, could easily, easily be easily be misconstrued as ADHD. It wasn't. It was just comprehension stuff, right? Cognitions. And so they began then the process of uh, adapting and modifying and adapting and accommodating and adapting and modifying and adapting and accommodating. And uh, probably by grade five, we had a good plan, a good track that seemed to fit her and she's thrived since. You know? Yeah. And she is 16 now. Yeah. Which blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, and doing, and she's a beautiful girl. Um, and, and she, I do have the privilege of knowing her personally. And I don't think I've ever met and my own daughter included any child with a heart like hers. Yeah. Um, she just radiates kindness. Um, she wants to help anybody and everybody that she possibly can. Mm -hmm. um, she is, from my understanding, um, friend to everybody. Um, and again, this goes back to, you know, that we attended um, a, the same church together. Um, her heart for God is just <laughs> beyond anything I've ever seen. Um, and she just, you know, she would come to, to us and ask us to pray for this person or that person. And, um, because she, she believed in that power mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, always the brightest smile. Um, I, I miss that, you know, we don't get to see her, um, right. and other people too, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she just, just her presence would put a smile on my face. Um, and and even when I look back to her in the orphanage, that's who she, she, she'd been since the beginning. Yeah. I mean, that's that's who God made her to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And um, I, I'm so proud of her. I mean, she put so much effort into her classes and yeah. into her schoolwork. Um, mm -hmm. And I've also had that privilege to be able to work with her a little bit on the side. Um, and I know that, you know, she wants to do well. Yeah. She wants to be successful. She wants to know the things that she needs to know. Yeah. Um, and I'm just really, really proud of her and you um, and her mom for all that, you know, you guys have done for her in order to make sure that she was on that right path. Um, that, that those limits that people tried to place upon her didn't stick. No. Um, and no. so that would be, you know, something that I would recommend to anybody listening is trust your gut. You know, I mean, Jeff had the, the psychologist evaluation knowledge of, you know, how that kind of all went. Um, and I kind of vaguely remember when you guys were going through that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I remember you reaching out to me and I, I don't know that I was all that helpful to you, but um, I, you know, hopefully something I said or did was, was helpful. Um, but, but, you know, you have to stick with it. Sometimes, you know, people do have biases. Um, it's not anything that they intentionally have. It, it just happens. Um, so for whatever reason, they had the bias that the things that you were describing about her early on, were going to lead them down the path of attention issues. Um, and, and <clears throat> With the, with the training that, that they had and the knowledge that they had, sure. Um, she meet, she would check every box that would say, if, if you're born um, in a less, than, a less than ideal home, okay, um, you're, born in this, you're born in this country, the odds are that you're exposed to certain things, okay? Um, that research indicates, well, sure, then you can expect attention issues or focus issues or kind of on and on. But I could come back and say, yes, but she can watch two hours of Dora the Explorer, sit on the couch, not move, 
and tell you every single thing that occurred in those two hours. Those don't fit. Right. Um, and and uh, one positive about our community is it's a small community and the professionals get to know the professionals. Right. And so I was able to, to, to just say to the administrators or whatever, hey, here's what I see. I understand what you're saying. Recognize my professional experiences as well. And instead of it being contentious, why can't we work together here? Yes, absolutely. Um, I was willing to 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 bring in an advocate um, because there were some changes that were taking place behind the scenes that they didn't know I knew about yet, or they hadn't been announced yet, and I was aware of those because of my job. Right. And, and so I was willing to bring those players in. I didn't want to if we didn't have to, because at the end of the day, we still had to work together. Our our desires are the same, ultimately. Absolutely. And I had to stop. The, we had to, to realize that we're not the enemy here. Um, we can work together. How do we make that work? Right. And, and as a master IEP coach, as an education consultant, that's what I try to come in and do is to help both sides remember that there's an individual that we are fo- focused on at these meetings. Sure. And it's not about your expertise. It's not about my expertise. It's about our expertise and right. how we can use that knowledge to work with the child and, and help that child reach their best potential. Um, and I, I don't know why, um, why we're like that. You know, I mean, it happens from parent side. It happens from teacher side where it's like, no, this is what I see. Well, this is what I see. Well, this is what I know. Well, this is what I know. And there's, it, it just seems like that gap gets farther apart instead of lessening to the point where, okay, well, this is what I see and this is what I see. So let's merge that and let's, let's figure this all out together. Um, pride. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. I mean, really pride. I know better. I know better. I know better. I'm right. I'm right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, and hopefully um, I'm changing that by what I do now. And, and there's a whole network of master IEP coaches around the country. And that is, that is one of our main goals is to try to have more collaboration and understanding right. Um, because yes, I can be an advocate and I can go in and I said this to somebody the other day, I can be somebody's worst nightmare. I really can. If I have to be, you can talk to my husband, he'll tell you, <laughs> but, but I, but that's not really the goal that I want going into these, you know, I, I really want to collaborate. I really want to make things better. Um, sure. I mean, my, my tagline now is, is making the world better for all one IEP at a time. And that's, sure. that's really what I want to do um, because I, I feel like we do miss out on a lot of opportunities and a lot of um, growth in students because our pride gets in our way in those situations. Yeah. Right. Um, so we just have a few minutes and then I'm going to wrap up. So um, I don't want to leave out your other child's child's your other adopted daughter or your son. Um, I mean, I know that their story is not as involved um, as your daughter that we were just talking about, but I mean, they are still very important. And um, so I don't want to let you go without saying anything, something about them. Wow. So um, I'll start with the daughter, Uh, also adopted. Um, she was also on an IEP. She had some educational uh, challenges early. Um, she had a seizure disorder um, young. And uh, to deal with that, and I, f- I forget the medication. This, this is before I, I, I was really a part of the life. But um, there was a, a, a medication that she had to take to help with the seizures, but that, uh, that, but that impacted math and some, some uh, mm-hmm. um, upper, level, upper level stuff. And so um, her mom also kind of had, had to go through the process of um, IEPs and trying to meet her needs and determine what accommodations were needed. And, uh, she went on into high school and each 
each year they backed up that the accommodations a little bit and they backed up the accommodations a little bit and backed them up a little bit to where by 11th and 12th grade, she, I don't think she used anything. They were there awesome. just in case she needed it. Uh, but um, she was off the medication at that point, had had a, a seizure in six, eight, 10 months, um, a year. And then it was a matter of confidence. Uh, yeah. the, the IEP team, they were there for support if she needed it. She knew she could rely on them. She didn't. Uh, she's a, she graduated last May, um, and she she did trigonometry remotely Ugh. and got an A. Wow. So um, that's that, incredible. That blew me away. Um, <laughs> yeah. In college, she's doing a college thing. Um, my son um, was born with, with a club foot. Um, and then, so we we dealt with some of the health the health challenges and obstacles that came with that. But the IEP team, we we were also able um, to get him uh, support at school from a, a physical therapy standpoint if it was needed, because mm-hmm. um, he's like most kids, they're clutches when they're young, <laughs> right? And, and his his repaired foot and leg uh, kind of presents his own challenges. And he went through a period of time, I think it was grade one, where he was always, he, he would fall. And so we're like, well, we have this documentation. The school knows about it. Can we get him support at school if needed? And uh, we were able to connect with the with that same staff that I had problems with many years earlier mm-hmm. um, and to get him the help that, was, that, was, that he needed then. And uh, um, now he's eight and a half and playing sports. And uh, he doesn't like being told no and doesn't like being told he, he can't because um, watch him. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's ran, uh, I like to run and he did a race with me a couple of years back. He did, he did a, okay, a couple of years back at age six or seven, um, wasn't fast. It wasn't great. And he was in pain cause his leg hurt, yeah. but he didn't quit. And, um, yeah, I forgot to talk about that other part of you. That's also, I mean, first of all, you went to the military, so that made you a little weird. And then you run these long marathons. So that's another part of you. That's really weird. Um, and, and I'm not just talking like the 26 mile marathons. You like to do the 50 and the beyond. Yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, ultra marathon world is what, I, is what I'm playing with now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've done, I've done a 50 mile ultra marathon. Um, I've attempted two hundreds. Um, I pulled out of one of them at 75 mile, uh, injured. And then the other one at mile 36 injured. Uh, but I'm still, I'm still out there plugging away, chasing that rabbit. Um, kind of one of those hashtag no limits. Don't tell me what I can do. Yeah. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. That's awesome. There's so much about you that, that (laughs) makes you part of the hashtag no limits team. And um, Greg, thank you for your comment. Um, not for sure. I, I'm not going to share it. <laughs> I, that's the, I can't. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm very, I'm very happy to have been part of, of Greg's life and his daughter's life. Um, so you have like 10 seconds. Is there any last fleeting words of advice, encouragement, um, anything that you would like to, to shout out? Uh, a, a couple things. Don't tell anybody what they can't do. Um, I, I know that, that's our theme. That obviously makes sense. That's why we're talking. But don't <laughs> tell them what they can't do it because watch them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but two, Shelly, I've known you for twenty plus years, um, and it's been cool how our how our journeys have done this. Um, it's cool to see what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. You are helping others out there. Well, thank you very much. And if anyone else would. Um, like to to work with me or to get to know me a little bit better, you can go to my website, um, shellykino.com. You can also, um, on that spot, you can, I'm trying to find this, the link here. Um, you can get a, a free checklist. If you're an educator, I have a free educator checklist. If you're a parent, I have a free parent edu- um, checklist for virtual or in-person IEP meetings. Um, I would love to, to work with, I love working with all sides of the table. Um, as, a, as a teacher, that's where I was and that's where I, I I felt like we did our best work. 
when we were all there collaborating and working together. So Jeff, thank you again so much. Um, like this post, share this post, comment on it. That's what we need you to do. Have a great day. Thanks, Shelly.